Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about infections in pregnancy. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash infections or in the antenatal care section of the Zero to Finals Obstetrics and Gynecology book. So let's get straight into it. Let's start by talking about rubella. Rubella is also known as German measles. Congenital rubella syndrome is caused by maternal infection with the rubella virus during the first 20 weeks of pregnancy. The risk is highest before 10 weeks of gestation. Women planning to become pregnant should ensure they have had the MMR vaccine. When in doubt, they can be tested for rubella immunity. If they do not have antibodies to rubella, they can be vaccinated with two doses of the MMR vaccine three months apart. Pregnant women should not receive the MMR vaccine as it's a live vaccine. If a pregnant woman is found not to be immune to rubella, they should be offered the vaccine after giving birth. The effects of congenital rubella syndrome to be aware of are congenital deafness, congenital cataracts, congenital heart disease such as a patent ductus arteriosus and pulmonary stenosis and learning disability. If you remember one feature of congenital rubella syndrome, remember congenital deafness. Next let's talk about chickenpox. Chickenpox is caused by the varicella zoster virus or VZV. It's dangerous in pregnancy because it can lead to more severe cases of chickenpox in the mother such as varicella pneumonitis, hepatitis or encephalitis fetal varicella syndrome and severe neonatal varicella infection caused by infection of the neonate during delivery. Mothers that have previously had chickenpox are immune and safe. When in doubt, IgG levels for the varicella zoster virus can be tested. A positive IgG for varicella zoster virus indicates immunity. Women that are not immune to varicella may be offered the varicella vaccine before or after pregnancy. The chickenpox vaccine is a live vaccine and live vaccines are generally avoided in pregnancy. Regarding exposure to chickenpox in pregnancy, when the pregnant woman has previously had chickenpox, they're considered safe as they're immune. When they are not sure about their immunity, they can be tested for the varicella zoster virus IgG levels and if they're positive, they're safe. And when they're not immune to chickenpox because they've not previously had chickenpox or the vaccine and they test negative for the varicella zoster virus IgG levels, they can be treated with IV varicella immunoglobulins as prophylaxis against developing chickenpox. And this should be given within 10 days of exposure. When the chickenpox rash starts in pregnancy, they may be treated with oral acyclovir if they present within 24 hours and they're more than 20 weeks gestation. 
Congenital varicella syndrome occurs in around 1% of cases of chickenpox in pregnancy. It can happen when the infection occurs in the first 28 weeks of gestation. The typical features of congenital varicella syndrome include fetal growth restriction, microcephaly or a small head, hydrocephalus or a buildup of fluid on the brain and learning disability, scars and significant skin changes located in specific dermatomes, limb hypoplasia or underdeveloped limbs and cataracts and inflammation in the eye specifically chorioretinitis. Next let's talk about listeria. Listeria is an infectious gram-positive bacteria that causes listeriosis. Listeriosis is many times more likely in pregnant women compared with non-pregnant individuals. Infection in the mother may be asymptomatic, cause a flu-like illness, or less commonly it can cause pneumonia or meningoencephalitis. Listeriosis in pregnant women has a high rate of miscarriage or fetal death. It can also cause severe neonatal infection. Listeria is typically transmitted by unpasteurized dairy products, processed meats and contaminated foods. Pregnant women are advised to avoid high-risk foods, for example, blue cheese, and practice good food hygiene. Next, let's talk about congenital cytomegalovirus. Congenital cytomegalovirus infection occurs due to a cytomegalovirus, or CMV, infection in the mother during pregnancy. The virus is mostly spread via infected saliva or urine of asymptomatic children. Most cases of CMV in pregnancy do not cause congenital CMV. The features of congenital cytomegalovirus are fetal growth restriction, microcephaly or a small head, hearing loss, vision loss, learning disability and seizures. Next let's talk about congenital toxoplasmosis. Infection with the Toxoplasma gondii parasite is usually asymptomatic. It's primarily spread by contamination with the feces from a cat that is a host of the parasite. When infection occurs during pregnancy, it can lead to congenital toxoplasmosis. The risk is higher later on in the pregnancy. There is a classic triad of features of congenital toxoplasmosis, intracranial calcification, hydrocephalus or fluid building up in the brain, and chorioretinitis or inflammation of the choroid and retina in the eye. Next let's talk about parvovirus B19. Parvovirus B19 infection typically affects children. It's also known as fifth disease, slapped cheek syndrome and erythema infectiosum. It's caused by the parvovirus B19 virus. The illness is self-limiting and the rash and symptoms usually fade over one to two weeks. When someone's infected with parvovirus B19, 
it typically starts with non-specific viral symptoms. After two to five days, the rash appears quite rapidly as a diffuse, bright red rash on both cheeks. The cheeks can look as though they've been slapped, which is why it's called slapped cheek syndrome. A few days later, a reticular, mildly erythematous rash affecting the trunk and the limbs appears, which can be raised and itchy. Reticular means net-like. Healthy children and adults have a low risk of complications and the management is simply supportive. They are infectious 7 to 10 days before the rash appears. Once the rash has appeared, they're no longer infectious. Significant exposure to parvovirus is classed as 15 minutes in the same room or face-to-face contact with someone that has the virus. Infections with parvovirus B19 in pregnancy can lead to several complications, particularly in the first and second trimesters. The complications include miscarriage or fetal death, severe fetal anemia, hydrops fetalis, which is fetal heart failure, and maternal preeclampsia-like syndrome. Fetal anemia is caused by parvovirus infection of the erythroid progenitor cells in the fetal bone marrow and the liver. These cells produce red blood cells and the infection causes them to produce faulty red blood cells that have a shorter lifespan. Less red blood cells results in anemia. This anemia then leads to heart failure, which is referred to as hydrops fetalis. Maternal preeclampsia-like syndrome is also known as mirror syndrome. It can be a rare complication of severe fetal heart failure or hydrops fetalis. It involves a triad of hydrops fetalis, placental edema and edema in the mother. It also features hypertension and proteinuria, or protein in the urine. Women suspected of parvovirus infection need tests for IgM to parvovirus, which tests for acute infection within the past four weeks, IgG to parvovirus, which tests for long-term immunity to the virus after a previous infection, and rubella antibodies as a differential diagnosis. Treatment is supportive and there's no specific treatment for the parvovirus infection. Pregnant women with parvovirus B19 infection need a referral to fetal medicine to monitor for complications and malformations during the pregnancy. Finally, let's talk about the Zika virus. The Zika virus is spread by mosquitoes, which are the hosts and a specific type of mosquito called the Aedes mosquito. It's spread in specific areas of the world where the virus is prevalent. It can also be spread by sex with someone infected with the virus. The Zika virus can cause no symptoms, minimal symptoms or a mild flu-like illness. In pregnancy, it can lead to congenital Zika syndrome which involves microcephaly, or a small head, fetal growth restriction, and other intracranial abnormalities, 
such as ventriculomegaly, which is expanded ventricles in the brain, and cerebellar atrophy, when there's damage and reduced function in the cerebellum of the brain. Pregnant women that may have contracted the Zika virus should be tested with viral PCR testing and antibodies to the Zika virus. Women with a positive result should be referred to fetal medicine for close monitoring of the pregnancy. There's no specific treatment for the virus. So thanks for listening to this episode on infections in pregnancy. As always, a big thank you to Harry for perfectly editing the podcast. Consider supporting Zero to Finals on Patreon for early access to the podcast episodes, as well as the YouTube videos, access to my course on how to learn medicine, and to digital flashcards to test your knowledge. And I hope you join us for the next episode, where we'll talk about resus incompatibility.